Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 9. Is where we're going to be once again in Romans chapter 9. As we continue in our study of the book of Romans, a um, couple things. I, I was just standing up here, and I looked at my watch. The battery died. You know what that means? <laughs> nothing. It means nothing. And, uh, and then the other thought that came to my mind is, y'all coming in smelling this good food. I'm just telling my wife's pulled pork. So if you're not planning on staying, let that soak in. Um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. And uh, at any rate, it's going to be good. I have to admit that uh, this, I was kind of excited in some way because as I was thinking about the next text of Scripture that we would be in, which is Romans chapter 9, um, for some of you that don't know, or maybe you do know and um, not interested, but we also have on Thursday nights from 5.45 to 6.40 or so, we are going through Grudem's Systematic Theology. And I know it's a bunch of doctrinal theological stuff that nobody really gives a flying flip about, but it's fun. <laughs> it's the time that we get to talk about theology and doctrinal stuff that you don't really talk about on Sunday mornings. It's just a good time of study. And uh, we've been going through that, uh, I don't know, for off and on for the better part of three or four years. And uh, so we picked it back up. We hadn't done it for a while. We picked back up. And as we were reading through it last week, we got to the subject of salvation and how it affects those who are saved, how it affects those who are unsaved. And we're just kind of walking through this thing. And it highlighted Romans chapter 9, uh, the first couple of verses, and it really hit me. I, I, you know, if you're like me, many of you in this room have read through the Bible cover to cover numerous times in your life. Um, I've done it several times over the years. I try to pick a different translation every year to read through it, and, and I, I enjoy it. And I know I've read through this passage so many times in the past, but it didn't hit me like it did this time. And I'll tell you why it hit me in just, just a moment. But I want to begin by just this morning reading verses 1 through 5, and then we'll kind of break it apart just a little bit, and then we'll get into our uh, Love Sunday dinner and so forth. And for those of you that can stay, I, I hope that you do, and we'll have a good time of fellowship. But let's just look at verses 1 through 5, and then we'll open in a word of prayer. Says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies within me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I, w- I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is God overall blessed forever. Amen. Lord God, as we look at this next text of Scripture, I pray, God, that You would speak to our hearts. And Lord God, I pray that You'd give us a burden for those who don't have a burden for the lost. I pray that today that they get one. That You would work in their hearts, Lord, to help them see the urgency of the Gospel. And Lord, not just in general, but specifically for those around them. And I ask God that You would challenge us, but not challenge us only, but change us to Lord, we are willing, to where we are willing to open up our mouth to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need it. And I pray, God, that You'd start with me. I pray that You'd start within this church. I pray, God, that You would do a work in this city and surrounding communities, Lord. 
for the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we dive into this next text of Scripture here in Romans chapter 9, we begin to see another side of Paul, right? As we were going through chapters 1 through 8, you saw all kinds of things. You saw Paul's testimony, and you saw how uh, he was working to show people it's not just by living according to the rules, the regulations, and the guidelines, the law, so to speak, and how the law, we were even in Galatians, it was given as a schoolmaster to give us the grace. And, and Paul lays down all these foundational truths. But as we come into chapter 9, he really does take a little bit of a twist, a little bit of a change, at least in his mindset and his outset of how he's thinking towards those around him. And as we begin to see this, we almost see an emotional side of Paul for his people. He understands how his people were in rebellion against God and how they were rejecting the Messiah. Nevertheless, he loved them. So as I'm reading this this week over and over, he says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies within me in the Holy Spirit. So what's he saying here? He says, it's, it's something that has consumed me. And he goes, I don't want to lie about it. He goes, I, I am overwhelmed with this idea for the, for, the, for the love of Jesus Christ that my kinsmen need to understand and know and accept. There's problems in this situation though. But before we get into looking at some of the obvious issues, I want, us to, I want us to think about our own family. Let me just kind of, if I could just break it down real simple, down to where the rubber meets the road, just for a moment. He says very clearly that this is for his brothers, his kinsmen according to the flesh. When Paul is saying this, he's literally referring to everyone around him, his countrymen. He's talking about his fellow Jewish people. He's talking about those that he is actually the same blood, the same race as. He said, I am thinking about everybody around me. He goes, and I can't stop thinking about it. And I thought to myself, how would this apply to me in 2022 right here in Rochester? How does it apply to you right now today? I think every one of us, if we were just to be honest with ourselves, I think we're just where we're, we're really practically meets is that we have people all around us. We have fellow Americans, fellow people that we know, love, respect. We don't always get along with them. We don't always agree on every little aspect of them. But there are fellow Americans. There are people all around us who don't know Jesus Christ. And many of us, and too many of us in this room, could give a flying flip. And that's the God's honest truth. Many of us could give a flying flip of who's going to hell when they die. Because we don't think about it. We got our, you know, we got our ticket. We're going to heaven. We sealed it in our heart. Nobody can take it from us, but neither does anyone else have access to it. We're on our way. We got the golden ticket. We're going. Boom, bada bang, God done. And we don't care. We don't open our mouth. Because if we really did care, we'd say something to somebody sometime. And we just don't do it as a whole. I'm not saying that there's not anybody in this room that doesn't ever share the gospel. I'm not saying that. I heard a couple stories just this week, and that blesses me. But the reality is, as a whole, we don't say nothing. We got our ticket. We're going. We're good. And we're okay with that. And that's as far as it goes. Say, Pastor, you really believe that? Yeah, I do. Am I pointing the finger? No, because I got three coming back at me. Real strong pointed fingers coming right back at me. But I'm challenged all week at this. When's the last time we shed a tear for anybody, let alone our American fellow Americans, let alone our own family members who are dying and going to hell? 
When's the last time have we said anything to our family members, those that we know and love, and we think know and love us, and we're saying, hey, I'm concerned, do you know Jesus Christ? When's the last time we've said anything about that? Let's be honest. Because if we did, this place would be bursting at the seams of people coming to know Jesus. And we really, rarely hear of somebody coming to know Jesus. Unless it's at camp, or a revival meeting, or something like that. When's the last time that we really had a heart-to-heart with that conversation of a, with a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, a relative, a loved one, and said, I'm really concerned, do you know Jesus? And I'll, I'll be the first to admit, you know who the hardest people is to talk to about Jesus Christ? Family. I mean, if you grew up like I did, half my family thought, we are nuts, oh, you're just those Christian people who live underneath this bubble. We heard it. Right? Kind of would appear that way, because that's how we act. We're, we're impervious to anything else going around us because we got Jesus. We're better than thou. Really? But here's the deal. We have smorgasbord Christianity. Take a little bit of this, not so much of that, a lot of this, because that's really good. And we're talking about praise and worship in our time with Jesus. But, you know, telling the gospel, not so much of that. Smorgasbord Christianity. And the reality of it is this. We appear to those that know us as holy rollers because we have all the answers and we are right. And meanwhile, they're dying and going to hell because we're right. Let's be honest. I'm reading through this and I'm saying, there, my goodness, what is Paul saying here? He says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies. He says, my conscience is bearing witness with the Holy Spirit. And he goes, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with what's going on, with with, with what's going on around us. He says, in other words, it's on my mind constantly. Verse 2, he says, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. I'm going to use myself as an illustration because I'll be honest here. The bottom line is, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. He's referring to the lostness of those around him. His fellow countrymen. His fellow Jewish people. That's who he has grief in his heart for. We have grief for what's going on in politics. Drives us nuts. Irritates the fire out of us. We're frustrated over it. And we're really ticked off and angry over politics. We're irritated over the inflation that we're experiencing. I don't like it. I got sorrow and grief over that. Anybody else? I do. I mean, I go to fill up my gas thing. It's like three sixty nine. I'm like, seriously? You gotta be kidding me. Where's my Where's my card when I need it for 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 Delta Sonic to get my ten cents off? Because yeah, it really makes a point right now, right? I mean, the reality is that we get really ticked off and grieved in our spirit over a lot of things. But when's the last time we got grieved in our spirit because someone that we know and love is going to hell? Let's be honest, folks. Let's, let's really be honest. When's the last time we got upset because we got a grandchild who is living in rebellion and nobody has the guts to say anything to them because we don't want to upset the apple cart or make their parents mad, but they're dying and going to hell when they die. But we're not going to say anything because that's, well, that's not my kid. It's your grandkid. Do you love your grandkid? Or parents, do you love your children enough to challenge them when they're living in sin? Because you don't want them to go through the heartache and the trial. And we were just talking about this so many times this week, that every choice has consequences, both good and bad, right? Every choice has a consequence. 
Do we realize that the consequences of dying without Christ is eternity in a lake of fire forever? As I was thinking about this this week, looking at Romans chapter 9, I'm thinking, and the passage that came to my mind was where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where there's eternal darkness, where the, where the, where the worm dieth not. I, I, I can't even in my mind comprehend that. No Halloween movie can depict that correctly. Think about that. Let that sink in. Where, there, where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness, extreme heat. I mean, think about when, when Lazarus says, send my brother, he may dip the tip of his finger. I don't know about you, but when I'm thirsty, there ain't no drop of water going to do that. And yet that's what he's crying for. When's the last time that we really grieved over somebody dying and going to hell? You see the grief that Paul is demonstrating here that he has lived out. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my, part, in my heart. Paul could have, maybe even justifiably could have, come to the conclusion that I have anger towards my countrymen. I am embittered towards my countrymen. They have tried to kill me. They have tried to belittle me. They have frustrated all my efforts to share the gospel. Every time I turn around, they're, they're, you know, it, is his, it was his countrymen, really, that were stoning him and, 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 and whipping him and leaving him dead. I mean, it was the religious right in his, his own countrymen that were, that were, were always constantly berating him. If anybody had a justifiable reason to hate his countrymen, it was Paul. Challenge me on that. It was Paul. And Paul says, yeah, I can't get it out of my mind that they need Jesus Christ. That's crazy to me. If anybody had a justifiable reason to say, sorry, done with you, have fun in hell, it would have been Paul. And yet that was not his attitude. That was not his spirit. That's the spirit I want sometimes, though, because people irritate me. Anyone else? Have fun there. (laughs) I know where you're going. (laughs) But that's so contrary to what Paul's heart was. He says, for I could have... Look at verse 3. Just just look at... let, Let that sink in just for a minute. For I could have wished, I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That word accursed in the Greek language anathema is only used five times in all the Word of God. Five times. That one word accursed is only used five times in all the Scripture. Here's what it implies. Both physical and and spiritual death is one of the implications. Paul said that I can wish myself that I were dying both physically and spiritually because I'm so broken over what has taken place around me. Paul says I wish it's almost as if I could die and let somebody else take my place because I don't deserve this. I mean, if you don't think Paul thought he deserved it, he says I am the chiefest of sinners. Paul says, I am the worst of all. He says, I'm just being honest. And if every one of us in this congregation were honest with ourselves this morning, we'd have to make that argument that we're worse. Because every one of us, God's Word says that all of our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. That's what God's Word says. And he says in Jeremiah chapter 17, he says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately what? Who can even know it? And yet we have this idea that we're good. We're good. Uh, several times I heard this week, 
I don't know why you just have certain weeks, you hear certain things, have different conversations. But I heard this conversation come up at least twice this week. Boy, I'm amazed that when I compare myself with other people, that's the problem. If we're honest with ourselves, I can't compare myself to anyone else. I can't. Because I don't care how good I think I may be or how good I think they or that person is. We all have flaws. Right? We all have flaws. I was just talking to Matt this morning. I said, you know, I had one of my profs in Bible college. He used to always say, the greatest of saints, the most honorable men that I know that walk with Jesus day in and day out, the most wonderful, deeply grounded, foundationally strong men, Christian men I know, they have the flaws as well. He said, no one takes a second for the greatest of men to commit the worst of sins. I've never forgotten that. Don't ever think that you've arrived because, well, bless God, I got, I got salvation and I'm there. No, you're not. We're not there until we are there. Meanwhile, our job should be to help other people get there. Right? That's ought to be, that ought to be part of what drives us. So he says, I wish myself accursed and anathema. In some translations, it literally says devoted to death. He goes, I, I am literally wish myself I were devoted to death. Because in death there's finality. It's over. Because while I'm alive, it's on my mind. It eats me up. It dries me. It compels me. In death it's over. It's amazing. Paul had the same compassion of that of Jesus Christ Himself. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, It's amazing what it says about Jesus Himself. Matthew chapter 6 and verse... I'm I'm sorry, chapter 9 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 9, verse 6 says this. It says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then He said to the paralytic, Get up and go on your bed and go home. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on this earth. Paul said, but in the same way, it's the same context here, with authority. With authority. He had this compassion so that you may know. Moses did the same thing in Exodus 32.32. But he says, I wish myself accursed. I don't know about that. I, I, I don't even comprehend that sometimes. I don't. Because I, I don't know about you, but I get up, I get dressed, take a shower, get dressed, go about my day. And we all just have those things that need to get done. Anybody agree? I mean, you got these things, and you know, hey, I'm doing this today, on Tuesday I'm doing this, and Wednesday I'm doing this, Thursday I'm doing that. And we just have this list of things that we've got to get done. Someone said a long time ago that a plan to fail to plan is a plan to fail. In other words, if you don't think about it, don't dwell upon it, don't work it out, you're never going to open your mouth. Twice this week I got to hear stories of someone who shared the gospel with somebody. That's a good day. That's a good day. Right? Amen? That's a good day. See, here's the thing I want you to remember. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, not one verse because does God tell you to control the outcome you can't i can't save anybody can you i can't do it i can't 
But God can speak through us. And He says His Word will never turn void. And the bottom line is, God just says be obedient. What we do with that is what's on us. If God gives us an opportunity and we fail to take it, that's on us. If God opens the door for a conversation and we choose not to have it, that's on us. Outcome's not on us. Our obedience is on us. And that's what God wants of us, is obedience. So he says, I wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Who are your kinsmen according to the flesh? If we're honest with ourselves, they're your fellow Americans. They're your neighbors that live on either side of your house. They're the ones that live down the road from you. They're the ones that you pass, and you know, for the most part, they're the ones that live in our Jerusalem, so to speak. They're your relatives, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your whatever. Paul is referring to his kinsmen, which were the Jewish people that were actually the ones that were responsible for trying to hurt them and destroy them. So even those that you don't agree with, even those that you don't appreciate, even those that you, you know, are not on the same page as, those are the ones that God's called you to reach. I don't know about you, but it's just so easy to point out what we don't agree with more than what we do agree with. Look around us, folks. It's hard. This year, I'm just being honest, it's been a stinky year, right? Anybody else agree for the last year and a half, two years? Did anybody wake up and scratch your head two and a half years ago and say, wow, I didn't know this was going to happen? I mean, seriously, who could have predicted two and a half years ago where we'd be today? Who could have done that? Other than God. None of us. Suicide hotlines are up 800% in some parts of the country. Suicide, actual completion of suicides are up dramatically in the last couple of years. Biggest age group is the 20 and below. It's crazy. And we can get ticked off and even justifiably ticked off at everything that's going on. Look at our president. You look at the congressmen, the senators, and the house people. And you say, they're all messed up. Yeah, they are. They are. Knock on wood. Yep, they're all messed up. Right? Let me ask you a question. Can you expect people who don't know Jesus Christ, who have never put their faith and trust in Him, to make godly decisions? So why would we think any differently? Why would we expect any differently? This is an unsaved world that needs Jesus. Amen? That's what the need is. And Paul said, that's what I feel myself accursed over, is that my countrymen, they need to know Jesus. He goes on here, verse 4. He says, who are Israelites? To whom belong the adoption as sons. He's talking about, he goes, these are the people who are, should be adopted as God's anointed. They were God's anointed people. And yet they were the ones that were rejecting God. They're the ones that were, that, that were and are still rejecting Jesus, right? Paul's, Paul's point was that the Israelites had enjoyed the blessings of God as His chosen people. I mean, they were the very recipients of God's grace. We saw that all the way up from Romans 1 all the way to chapter 8, is that God just over and over blessed them and blessed them and blessed them. And yet they continuously, what? Rejected and rejected and rejected. Over and over. Paul wanted them to experience this love with God again. In fact, this was the overwhelming, I think, message of Paul throughout his ministry. Look at 2 Timothy 
chapter 2 and verse 25, he says, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may give them repenting, repentance leading to the full knowledge of His truth. Let that think, sink in just for a minute. With gentleness correcting those who are in... Anybody have any opposition around you? Nobody? That's what, Yeah, right. All of us, right? It's all around us. There's opposition all around us. So, the fact that you're right, and you know you're right, and you're going to push the fact that you're right, is it going to change their heart? Not usually. In fact, he says in his word that the anger does not lead to what? Godly sorrow or repentance. It doesn't. Anger doesn't help. Now, get me wrong here. There's a time to have righteous anger. There is a time for that. But most of the time, it's not what's, what's righteous anger is not coming from our flesh. It's from what we know the truth of what God's Word says, and that's what we're standing on. That's righteous anger. When you, when you force me to do something that is contrary to God's Word, you're going to see a righteous anger. But just because I don't like it, and I'm going to let you know that I don't like it, and if you don't change your mind and opinion and your actions, I'm going to thump you so that you do change it, that's not righteous, that's flesh. And I'm not even saying that one can't turn into the other. But it better be rooted in righteous anger, not selfish, sinful, human anger. Right? So he makes it very clear here. Verse 25. With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may give them repentance leading to the full knowledge of the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. And by the way, folks, once again, these are not saved children of God. Right? That usually are in opposition to us. They are children of the devil. John 8, read it. John 8, 44, 8, 45. Their actions are of those their father, the devil. Until their father is Jesus Christ, their father is the devil. And so there is a way that they're going to respond. It says that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That's what they're doing. And why are we shocked at that? We shouldn't be. What it comes down for you and I as children of God is that we need to have the mindset that Paul had is that the only thing that's going to change this world that we live in is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that should be what partly consumes us as we go about our days. I'm challenged by this. I've read through the Bible. I can't tell you how many times in my life. I've read through Romans 9 a million times. But for some reason, God just like made a jump off the page. And I wonder, when's the last time we shed a tear for anyone? Especially someone that we're near and dear to. Especially our countrymen. It's one thing to say, well, okay, I don't really have a real burden for those that are over all parts of Africa. I've never been there, don't know them, never seen them. They're not your kinsmen. But your neighbor is your kinsman. You ought to be concerned for your Jerusalem. You ought to be concerned for this town and the community that you live in. You ought to be concerned for your relatives. And can I say grandparents? Your grandchildren who may not know Jesus. And you need to model that out. And even have some conversations that they may come to Christ. He goes on in our text here in Romans chapter 9, verse 5. He says, Whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh? who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. 
So he makes a real strong point in verses 4 and 5 together. Who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption. He goes, these are your people. These are the, these are the people of God. God's chosen people. That he has a, 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 a burden for. And he says, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is God overall blessed forever. Amen. He said, these are God's people. And he said, I wish I myself were accursed for them. I wish it was almost me dying and going to hell, eternally separated from God, so that they could go. I think there was a real mindset within the, the heart of Paul that he says, if I could swap places, I'd do it. If I could swap places with you, I'd do it. That's how great his burden was. And yet, these are the people that tried to make his life miserable. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge to me. Because I want to be right. I don't want to be challenged. I want you to know that I'm right. (laughs) It's my flesh. It's my selfishness. I want you to know, not just that I'm right, I want you to know why I'm right. And and until you agree with me, I'm not going to let up. Because you just have to know, and I can't be satisfied with you just hearing my opinion. I've got I to hear it from you that agree with me. Isn't that how some people are? And for the sake of being right, they turn everyone else away from them. Who is it? Uh, put a thing on Facebook. Uh, Ed, he goes, I, I forget how it goes, but I think one of the greatest witnessing aspects we could be is just, say a Christian, quit being a jerk. Something to that, something to that effect. <laughs> How many people do we know that are just jerks and they say, why would, they, why would the unsaved world want what we say we got? No love. See, we're talking about Love Sunday. And you know that the greatest two commandments have to do with love in all the Word of God? He says, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind. And, and Mark even adds the word strength. That's one difference in Mark's epistle versus, or gospel versus the other ones. He adds the word strength. I mean, all your being. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let me just say this. He goes, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And can I just say this? You will never love horizontally correctly until you love God vertically correctly. Because if you don't love God vertically, you can't love God or love others horizontally. You can't. Because when soon as on a horizontal level, when they don't meet my expectations, we're ticked. When they don't do what I ask them to do, we're ticked. When, when they continuously do things that are wrong and against us and bother us, then we just shut them off and turn them away and we kind of just break relationship. How do we have the will to forgive? Well, when we start realizing that God forgives us over and over and over and over again, we begin to realize that there's a basis for why we need to love, love and forgive others on a horizontal level. That's love. Let me just say this. If you don't love God and comprehend what God has done for you, you will never wish yourself accursed. You won't. I can't, you can't. Until we begin to comprehend how vast God's love is for us. And you realize that God has reached, just for a minute, sinners in the hands of an angry God 
I remember seeing a painting that depicted the title of that sermon. And basically what it was is two fingertips holding a man out over the lake of fire. And the caption was the title of the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And how he said, even though we were meant to be dropped into that flame, God in His grace and His mercy pulled us back. If we got what we deserved. See, heaven was never made for us. It was made for the devil and his minions, right? He gave us an opportunity to know Him. To love Him. Not as a robot, but as a human being who chooses to comprehend how vast and great that love is that we talked about two weeks ago in Romans chapter 8, verses 35-39. to His love for us is just that vast. And how could we accept His love but yet not share that love with others? What a, what a challenge. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by that. And I don't want to just walk out of here and say, well, hey, pastor's on, pastor got all ripped up today about something. I don't know what that was all about. But I hope we walk out and say, God, lay some soul upon my heart that I may love them through, that you may love them through me. Lay some soul upon my heart. You remember that old hymn? We don't sing it too much anymore. But Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. That's what we should be praying. Let's just by a show of hands say, how many of you know people who don't know Jesus? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up for a minute. How many of you know relatives that don't know Jesus? Keep your hand up. How many of you know some friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus? Keep your hand up. So here's the point this week. You can put them down. Every one of us in this room know people that don't know Jesus. Here's the first step. Pray for them. Just pray. Lord, would you be with my next door neighbor? I know that he doesn't know you yet, but God, I just pray you begin to work in his heart to draw him to yourself. God, would you just open up a door of opportunity whereby I could just talk with him and share Jesus. Lord, just, just, I want, I'm just praying that you work in his heart. Start with prayer. And then number two, build a relationship with them. How, how many of you have ever heard of the word investment? Raise your hand. Don't you wish that investments were such that you could put $100 in this month and, next, and then in three weeks it's worth $300? And that, wouldn't that be cool? Someone said if I would have bought $10 worth of Bitcoin 20 years ago, it would be worth over $40 million now. I, I don't know. It was some astronomical stupid number. But that's investment. You put money in now that hopefully, hopefully, years later when you go to retire, it's worth more than what you started with, right? Whether you got a 6% or a 5% or a 12% or whatever the return is, you're hoping that little by little, as you put in over 30, 40 years, that somewhere down the line it's worth more than what you started with, right? That's, that's the concept, right? Do you have immediate results, yes or no? No, not typically. Not typically. You see, the whole idea behind investment is that you just give, and you give, and you give, and you give, and you give, and then you give some more, and your weeks turn into months, your months turn into years, and your your years turn into decades, and then one day, there's a yield. Is it any different when we're building relationship with friends, relatives, coworkers, neighbors? You give, and you get to know, and you help. And you love, and you encourage, 
and you're there when, during times of frustration and struggle and disappointment and deaths in the family, and you're there, you're investing. You're investing into a relationship so that you can invite them to the most important relationship. You see, someone said, well, I'm just going to live it out. They'll know because I ch- my, my car's gone every Sunday. They know that I go to church. Give me a break. That's cop out. That's just obedience. Come on. God's Word says in Hebrews 10, forsake not the assembling. So if they know your car is good, you go to church. That's not witnessing. That's not sharing the gospel. I'm sorry. At some point, your faith needs to become words. And pray. And invest. And look for an opportunity. Look for an opportunity. You'll never find what you don't look for. Dave. Dave, Dave is my metal detecting hero. But if you don't go metal detecting, you're going to find any treasure? Nope. You've got to go out there and wave the wand in order to find something. You have to go out and look to have the opportunity. <laughs> and can I say this too in closing? You'll never give away what you don't have. It'd be really cool. I've said this a thousand times over the last 25 years, but I wish that we could have like Millionaire Sunday. Let's just hypothetically, for those of you that are new and haven't heard this silly illustration, but let's just assume for a moment, and it's only an assumption, I'm a multi-gazillionaire. I know you want to be one too. It's my story. I can make it as big as I want. Multi-gazillionaire. I don't even know how many zeros that is. It's a bunch. Doggone it all, we're going to have Millionaire Sunday because I'm a gazillionaire and I, got, I can throw this stuff away. I can use you know, $100 bills as kindling. I don't care. It's just, just dollars. Millionaire Sunday. Just come to church Sunday. You get a million dollars for showing up. Oh, and by the way, you bring a visitor, you get an extra million. Yeah, the doors. I mean, we we like busting out the walls because it's, it's Millionaire Sunday. The gazillionaire is giving away a million to everyone that walks through the door. It's like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? New truck Sunday. Come on. Let's go. But here's the problem. I'm not a gazillionaire. Not a billionaire. Not a millionaire. I'm not even a thousandaire. And most days I'm not even a hundredaire. <laughs> I'm like a 20-air. You know, I've got a $20 bill in my pocket. I'm a 20-air. You know, so here's the point. I can't give what I don't have. It'd be cool thought. But it's no, not, not any different than our, than our salvation. Some of you have never given away because maybe you don't have it. You go to church. You help out. You're a kind person. But you don't know Jesus. That's where it starts. Going to church is not going to get you to heaven. Being a nice person will not get you to heaven. What will get you to heaven is knowing Jesus and have a relationship with Him. That's where it starts. And once you have that relationship, goodness, we should be overwhelmed by the fact that God loves me. He loved me enough to send His Son to die on a cross so that I can spend eternity in heaven with Him. And when we have that kind of acknowledgement that Jesus loves me that much that He went to the cross, maybe we'll start to understand a little bit of a glimpse of what Paul was saying. I wish myself a curse. I wish I myself could just swap places with those who don't know Jesus to those that are going to hell so that they could understand what Jesus did for them. That's, that's crazy deep, isn't it? 
We don't like to give away anything, let alone salvation. We keep it, we keep what we got in our wallet. That's where it's gonna stay. Ain't nobody touching it. You try to touch it, I'm gonna break your fingers. And it's unfortunately how many of us treat salvation too. We got it. Ain't nobody taking it away because it's secure in the Lord, amen. But no one has access to it. I don't know about you, but I'm challenged by this. And I don't want to come back next week and say, okay, that was last week's message. Okay, moving on. I hope it changes our life. That it produces a different set of actions. Let me go back to two weeks ago. Love is a decision that results in an action. Expects nothing in return. What is the, I say I love God, action that's produced because I love God? And I don't care how anybody else responds to it. I'm still going to do it because it's right. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this day. Lord, not only challenge us, but change us. And I ask, dear God, that you would, Lord, for many of us in this room, Lord, maybe even for the first time, maybe first time in a long time even, give us a burden for the lost. Give us a burden, Lord. Help us to love you so much, Lord, that we begin to understand and comprehend just how great, just how vast your love for us is. And Lord God, I pray that you would not only challenge us, but change us. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just have two questions this morning. Just ask for a moment that no one be looking around. We're just, as we do each and every week, have an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. First question is this, do you know Jesus? Because you'll never give away what you don't have. Do you know Jesus? Has there been a point in your life where you say, Pastor, I come to this place where I understood that I'm a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and I put my faith and trust in Him for salvation. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would like to think, I, you know, I'll go to church, I'm a good person, uh, whatever, but I, I just don't know. If I were to die, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have assurance I'm going to spend eternity in heaven, but I'm concerned. Can I just tell you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'll not embarrass you, I'll not call you out. I just simply want to pray for you. And you say, Pastor, that's me. Would you just lift your hand? No one's looking around. And just so I can pray for you and not call you out. But just so I can pray for you. you. Say, Pastor, I'm concerned. I don't know that I know Jesus. And I don't know that I have a relationship with Him. Anyone like that this morning? Can I pray for you? I'm just not sure. Anyone at all? So then the second question becomes this then. What are you doing with the gift that God gave you? What are you doing with the salvation that He's given you? If you're honest with yourselves, you say, well, Pastor, if I'm being real honest, I've never shared the gospel with anyone. I've never really even told anyone that I'm saved, that I'm a Christian, that I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm convicted this morning that I need to start doing that. You say, Pastor, I'm convicted that I need to let others know that I know Jesus. I haven't been doing a very good job of that, but I'm challenged by that, and I need your prayer. For boldness. Anyone like that this morning say, pray for me. Yes, yes. All over. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. I have not shared the gospel. I haven't done a very good job of witnessing. Telling others of the gift that I've got. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just work in our hearts. Lord, there are many in this congregation, I believe, without a doubt, 
they're going to walk out and nothing's going to change. Nothing. And yet, Lord, there are others who are challenged and they'll go out and they'll open their mouth. And I pray, God, you'll be with both groups. Give a burden to those who don't have one. And for those that do, Lord, I pray that you give them opportunity and boldness and faith and trust that you're going to work through them. Be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that you would just do a work in our lives, Lord, that we cannot do ourselves. Lord, may we begin to understand the heart and the mind of Paul. This is love. <laughs> Here it is, Love Sunday. Love the Lord your God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and others. Love our neighbors as ourselves. Lord, this is love. You said in John 13, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And your commandments are not grievous, you told us. I ask God that you give us the ability and the desire and the confidence, Lord, to walk out in, in obedience. And I ask God that you do that in every one of us. That we may see people come to know you and put their trust in you and their faith in you, Lord, and you alone. Because, Lord, that's what's going to change our world. One at a time, coming to know you. Work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.